You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Dowdy for Kachi. And Kupta. Dowdy again. Kopitar one-timer. Kick save. Rebound. Score! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Dowdy starts the rush. And here is Drew Dowdy. Cuts out wide through center. Return pass from Kopitar. Back to the front. They score! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with superior skin care that the pros love, LA Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25 in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We're two games into the 2021-22 season, two down, 80 to go, and it is Monday, so that means it's time to crown a King of the Week. Jack Jablonski is here to help me do that and to talk about Saturday night's loss to the Minnesota Wild. Then we have a conversation that Zach Dooley and I had with none other than Luke Robitaille. I think there's some really good information in here, but I will let you be the judge. If you do enjoy this episode and you want to let us know about it, feel free to reach out on social media or leave a review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever your fine podcasts are curated. All right, Jack, it's time to name a King of the Week. It's the first time this year we're going to be doing this every Monday. Um, Full disclosure, wasn't sure we were going to do it this week because if the first two games had gone poorly and there wasn't a clear candidate we were going to pretend like this was never on the schedule and we're just going to push it back to next week but it turns out um there are plenty of candidates yeah Yeah. exactly multiple candidates so what we're going to do is we're going to name some um uh honorable mentions first then we're going to go to a runner-up and then we're going to crown the king of the week so i'm going to go with four honorable mentions this week jack and you tell me if you agree um i'm going to go with Deneau, arvidson edler and kachev (laughs) the four newcomers um <laughs> yeah no i think you're on point uh, you know in all different ways too which i think is extremely helpful for the roster because you have guys that as you mentioned in terms of king of the week it's who performs the best if we have four honorable mentions that are all contributing in different areas uh that's that's something that you're gonna want to see and hopefully we can continue to say week after week in this segment yeah, and I mean, I don't think a ton needs to be said about it, but it'll just run down the list real quick. Kachev with a couple nice assists. Edler with a couple really nice highlight defensive plays. Uh, Arvidsson winds up with a goal and uh, at least one really nice assist. And Deneau um, gets his goal. And I think even regardless of the impact on the roster, just the impact on the fans, right? To have the big name acquisitions that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. To finally have them hit the ice and contribute right away. I was really glad Arvidsson got one in game two because he was trying real hard and coming real close. And the last thing you want to have is that conversation six games into the season of like, is he going to get one? Well, he got one. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's interesting because all of those guys to get that, you know, to get whatever they need to get out of the way, to get comfortable, take some of the pressure off, uh, especially when you come to a new team and have expectations you know, for all of the, the three forwards to get some points and, and get on the board uh, is extremely important for, for the Kings and their, you know, their psyche. And then obviously Edler, you, you know, I'm glad you included him in the honorable mentions because 
He's got a very specific role. You know, he's that veteran, tough to play against uh, guy who who made an impact on the defensive zone, especially in game one, uh, and and was fairly successful in doing it as well in game two. So, um, by all means, I think all of the honorable mentions. Uh, you know, it's it's good to get everything out of the way early, and now that they can kind of just go and play their game. Yeah. So that brings us then to uh, the first runner-up and. You know, the king of the week as a concept is a bit of a double-edged sword, because like we said at the beginning, if if you have a rough week, uh, it becomes a struggle to to pick somebody <laughs> to single out. But every now and then there are weeks like this, two games, uh, six points plus one, a goal and five assists uh, in the two games. Our runner-up for king of the week is Drew Doughty, and, you know, Dennis Bernstein asked in a, in a post-game availability if the uh, Team Canada... And Norris Trophy voters should be paying attention. Drew sort of laughed it off, but a really strong start for Drew Doughty. Yeah, you know, there's obviously extra motivation this year for Drew. You know, he's been very vocal about wanting to be on Team Canada and feels that he belongs there. Uh, this is exactly the start you could ask for. And not only from the offensive end with all the points that he put up, but he, he was great on the defensive end as well, clearing out pucks, um, keeping traffic away, especially in game one. Obviously, we know that they won the first and lost the second. So, you know, he really shined. And then, you know, again, two points in the second game on two goals uh, from a defenseman. That's all you can ask for. And that, of course, brings us to uh, the king of the week. No surprise at all uh, with seven <laughs> seven points in two games, four goals, three assists. You know, it's it's Andre Kopitar. And, and I'm blanking on the gentleman's name. Apologies. But, you know, the first guy since 1986, I think, to score three goals and five points, which is a very bizarre specification but uh three goals five points in a home opener um so i mean Andre kopitar what more can be said jack uh, not a whole lot it's but it's just exactly the the tone setting start from your captain that a team could ask for you know we obviously have different expectations going into this season the players have been vocal about it you know todd has obviously been reserved and talking about you know being a playoff team and said listen we've got to prove it we've got to you know come come together and and really take that next step forward but for Anze to to put up seven points in the first two games and and do what he did in the first game of the season uh, I think it sends a message to a lot of the younger players and and even the new guys that you know this is a, a belief within the top tier of the, the roster that um that it's their year to to really take that next step forward out of the rebuild that we've been in the last few years just to finish off his stat line, plus three, one power play goal, three power play points, 10 shots on goal, which you love to see in two games, uh, 40%, 40% shooting percentage. That's probably not sustainable. And 55% in the face-off dot. So uh, congratulations to Andre Kopitar, this yeah. week's King of the Week. All right, so we didn't really do a post-game podcast for the Minnesota game. Um, we did one for the Vegas game. Don't need to dwell a ton on the Minnesota game, but Jack, there was a, a concept that um, Coach McClellan talked about in his post-game availability that I want to sort of dive into um, for the Minnesota game. And he was talking about, you know, there there were specific goals scored in that Minnesota game against the Kings that were simply mistakes. And and there's not a whole lot of, of use breaking them down, dwelling on them, trying to decide, you know, who quote-unquote caused the loss because – against a good team you will make an, an error and good teams will capitalize on it and that's life right like the the goal that Kopitar scored against the wild Minnesota fans could spend the rest of the year you know how could that happen well whatever it's Andre Kopitar and he bounced the puck off of Matt Dumba's foot well you know 
I don't know what to tell you. It happens. Um, <laughs> so then looking at the overall impact of the guys on the ice and sort of understanding that in a 3-2 game, there are some goals that are simply not worth dwelling on. And if you then dive into the sort of overall numbers, um, a trend, a very short trend, it's only two games, begins to emerge. And that trend is that the top two lines, the Kopitar line and the Dano line, um, are playing incredibly well. And I would argue even at times dominating the opponent. Um, and the other two lines uh, maybe have some work to do. Yeah, well, we've seen this for a few years now, um, or quite, a, you know, it goes on and on. But, you know, the Kopitar line with the addition of Arvidsson is something that uh, Kings fans have to be excited about because it brings an extra element that Kopitar has on his wing that, you know, he hasn't had necessarily for a few years uh, in, in an elite goal score. And then you got the Deneau line who, you know, phenomenal two-way uh, forward who's proven both ends of the ice um, and continues to shine even in the two games. Now, the third and fourth line, we've seen this before. It was a struggle last year. It was a struggle the year before. Um, they played, you know, the third line and the fourth line played pretty well in game one. And unfortunately, they were, you know, torn apart, you know, lightly speaking, uh, in, the, in, the, in the game against Minnesota. And, um, you know, Minnesota is an interesting team, especially when they're in the offensive zone, because, they have multiple different lines that play different styles. So it's hard to, you know, keep up with, you know, the strategy when one of their lines likes to play, you know, below the goal line and the other ones like to cycle up high. And, um, you know, for the younger guys that are in the bottom six for the Kings, it's a learning experience, but it's also something that has to be fixed. And, you know, whether that's personnel change um, from guys in Ontario to, you know, guys that are in the press box right now, um, you know, things I think are going to change. It'll be interesting to see if Todd McClellan changes strategy with those bottom six or if he just changes personnel. I think it may wind up being about the opponent and how they're playing. Because if you look at the first mm -hmm. game, with the exception of the the five minutes where Lemieux was off in the box for fighting, the four lines remained pretty consistent and and rotated pretty evenly. Like the Kopitar line, this is even strength played uh, thirteen thirty three. The Deneau line twelve thirty four. Lazat, Lemieux, and Moore nine forty. Kachev, Velarde, Kaliev nine thirty. So you have your top two lines getting the bulk of the minutes, but the bottom two sort of getting even play and then, you know, Deneau filled in for uh, Lemieux when he was in the box for a minute and a half, give or take. But in the Minnesota game, um, you see Kopitar's line skating at 12.25, Deneau at 10.19, Lazat, Moore, and Kupari at 8.18, Velarde, Kachev, and Kaliev 6.30. That line did not perform particularly well, um, and they were protected and broken up. Velarde, Kachev, and Moore played for a bit, Velarde, Kupari, and Moore, and I, I saw Deneau out there a few times at least with... Um, with some of those guys. And so we heard from Todd McClellan in the post game that the two games were very different games, that the Minnesota game was a heavier game, a tougher game. Um, and that maybe some of the younger players, and he, he was sure to specify that he didn't necessarily mean younger by age, um, but younger by league. So I think he was including Kachev, even though he's a bit older than Kupari Kaliev um, and even, uh, and even Velarde. But he was saying like this, the Minnesota game was a, was a, different type of game than any of those guys probably are used to. Whereas guys like Kopitar, Kempe, Deneau, Ayafalo, they all played Minnesota eight times last year. They knew exactly what they were in for. 
um, as you grin like a Cheshire cat for the praise of your Minnesota wild. Um, but, but, but so I am prepared, especially given how dominant and how good they looked against Vegas, I'm prepared to roll with that explanation and, and give, you know, some patience and some time to these young players. As Jim Fox says, the team is still very much in a developmental mode. And Jim's spot on because, um, you know, when you, you look at what, Todd was saying in the post game and how this is a different game than some of those younger guys have faced. He's, he's right because, you know, again, Minnesota plays a different game and we talk about the struggles of the bottom six, especially against Minnesota. And I think one of the things that we have to continue to, to understand and respect is that Brendan Lemieux was a big miss, I think against Minnesota because of the heaviness that some of the wild forwards like to play against. On top of that, we also have Leah Anderson, who was, you know, in my opinion, likely to be projected to be on that third line with Velarde. And uh, he's out with a with an injury as well. Anthony Siu also out. So those are three bodies that we would expect to be in the lineup, likely on a night to night basis that aren't there. So, I, you know, I would hold up on, you know, throwing the white flag up on the bottom six and, and shuffling everything around just because they have one poor game against a, a team that plays a, a slightly more unique game especially than vegas you know it was total contrast you know they are all about transition and speed and you know while it's puck possession for both teams minnesota and vegas it's very different and minnesota um whether it was personnel or game plan uh or just the puck control um you know had the upper hand in last night's or you know against against uh, la and um it'll be interesting to see how they fare and and what they do to change you know, the storyline or the the way that the puck and the game plays out when they play Minnesota next. Yeah, and I actually thought that the Kings had a really strong showing in the third period. Um, yes, absolutely. They put the pedal on and, and really yeah. made things tight. I, I was, I mean, obviously I was hoping they were going to pull off the comeback and win, but I mean, mm-hmm. there there were moments, you know, there are times where you watch a game and, and your team loses and, you know, but they gave a good effort and whatever. And other times you just look at it and you go, man, they didn't even come close to scoring, right? There was never a moment where I felt like it was going to happen. Last night, there were plenty of times where I thought, oh, they're, they're going to pull this off. It's going to be great. We're going to get the mirror image of the games against Minnesota to open last season. Right, mm-hmm. where the Kings played well, and then Minnesota came on in the third period. Um, the mm-hmm. only sort of minor concern I might have, uh, and it's way too early to really have any concern. <laughs> we but, have 80 games left, Jesse. Yeah, exactly. But if I was going to, if I was a lunatic, which I am, and I was going to do that, um, I would say the first, I think we talked about, what, seven or eight minutes in the Vegas game was sort of lackluster. And then I would argue that most of the first period in this game, the Minnesota game, yes. was lackluster. And so we saw last year a lot complaints about the team not, quote-unquote, starting on time. Um, and so if I'm, you know, trying to determine which narratives are going to carry over from the previous season, maybe that one has me a little bit, not not full-blown panic, but just, oh, that's interesting. Um yeah, it's that's the perfect category to put it into. It's uh, okay. Well, I, I agree. Two games in the same narrative. You know, they they gave up the first goal against Vegas seven eight minutes into the into the game, and then Minnesota controlled and really you know kind of took the air out of the building for the majority of that first period. Um, it's it's one of those like okay, yep, that's interesting as you said. One to take note and pay attention to if if you're a Kings fan and, and interested to see 
um, if that trend continues, because like you said, it was something that was a problem last year um, and they didn't have the firepower to come back from those types of starts. This year, obviously, we feel a little bit more comfortable. Even Anze Kopitar in uh, in the postgame against Vegas talked about how, you know, when that first goal went in against Vegas and they were down 1-0, you know, he mentioned last year some guy's heads was sulked down. And this year it was like, no problem, we'll get it back. Let's go. Let's pick it up. And and that's the type of, you know, attitude your captain and your team should have. And um, hopefully they don't have to do that that often. But at the same time, you'd like to see – um, that quicker start and something where, you know, they step on the gas pedal right when puck drops at 7.30. Yeah, and I, I will offer another, um, I don't like the word excuse, but but I will offer some defense of the team. I, I don't know when the team found out about the roster changes, but we found out about the roster changes Saturday morning, right? Yeah. In advance of the game, we discovered, okay, not only is Leish Anderson now on the injured reserve, he won't be coming back. Brendan Lemieux is not available. So, you know, Kaliev, who was sort of pressed into duty unexpectedly. They've lost a teammate. Yeah, now Kupar is in. in. Yeah. But Wolanin gets right. taken That's away right. from the team. That's, yeah. you know, again, like these are humans. You have yeah. a friend on the team that you go through the whole offseason with. Multiple players um, from our roster were on Team Canada with Christian um, in the, the World Championships at the end of the last season. So it's different. You know, when a guy gets taken away via waivers, it's it's a tough one and you have to it's a business. You have to move on and move forward. But as a person, it's, it sucks to have a friend get taken away. Um, at the same time, you know, you're, you're spot on. It's, there was a lot of moving pieces this morning. I think we found out at 10, 11 AM via the press and, um, and being within the Kings organization. Um, so yeah. And then Brendan Lemieux, I, you know, we don't know he's on COVID lists or not injured. We don't know if he's tested positive. We don't know if it's someone close to him. We don't know what the situation is. So a lot of moving pieces for the for the morning of a game day. And, you know, when you're early into the season, it's it's sometimes hard to catch your breath with uh, some of the things that go on behind the scenes. Yeah, and I'm not entirely sure how much of this I'm allowed to talk about or even how much I should talk about it, but I'll just talk about my own personal experience as it relates mm-hmm. to Brendan Lemieux and, uh, and the COVID-19 protocol list. Um, I received, you know, I don't know if anybody noticed or not, but Daryl Evans, uh, did not travel with the team during two preseason games. Nick Nixon called the game solo, and I feel comfortable saying this because Nick said it over the air. He did so because Daryl was on uh, COVID protocol watch list. Um, I was also on that list at that time. <laughs> um, and I got that phone call at 11.45 at night, uh, somewhere around then. I don't remember exactly what time, but it was very late in the evening. Um, information you know, came to light about somebody, that person shared it as soon as they got it. And that person shared it with the people that needed to know it. And it was sudden and it was fine. Everybody was fine. Um, there was no, right. Nothing bad happened. Nobody got it. Uh, but we're not messing around this year. Um, at Very all. much so. <laughs> and so, you know, I have no, like I said, I don't know when that, that announcement was made to the team. I don't know how it happened. I'm not even going to speculate I'm not going to get into other people's medicals. I will just say personally, as somebody who had to test every day for a week and was not allowed um, around the office or people that I work with, uh, it happened suddenly and out of nowhere. And it was something completely out of my control and completely out of the other person's control. It's just, it's a weird world. And like I said, we're not messing around with it this year. (laughs) Yeah. And the, the interesting part of that, and I guess interesting might not be the best word, but to go into detail a little bit more, it's, 
one of those things where we don't know as media on the outside of the locker room where Brendan Lemieux was when he found out, you know, they test and, you know, whether you have symptoms, whether he was in the locker room, there's a lot of things up in the air and a lot of unknown when someone on your team goes down with the, the COVID protocols, because you don't know if you're affected. And that's where you mentioned all of a sudden at 1145, you find out that, you know, you need to isolate because we don't know if, if you have it, but you are around someone. So, you know, something to keep in mind, especially when, you know, things like that happen during the year, hopefully we don't run into any conflicts with COVID um, or any outbreaks within the roster, but um, you know, they're humans too. And, and while this is a business and they have a job to do and play hockey, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, extra factors, especially during these times. Yeah. And I want to be clear around somebody who was around somebody. I wasn't yes. even around somebody that like it's, yeah. we're not messing around. It is not yeah. like, there's not, you know, we're not letting people into the booth to say hi before the games. We're not taking pictures with fans. Like if we have any, if you have any contact with the players or the coaching staff, or you have contact with somebody who has contact with the players and the coaching staff, um, you, you are, you've you got are highly scrutinized. Yeah, yeah. Full so that's on sort of, safety. Yeah, exactly. So that's the sort of thing that uh, that's going on. Let's take a real quick look moving forward, though, Jack, because we talked about the potential of um, roster shakeups. Now, I am naturally a conservative fellow when it comes to changes. I like the roster to stay the same. I like pairs to stay together. You know, Dowdy wants to play with Anderson for seven years. I say, great, let's do that. Um, but also yeah. not a one game, let's blow it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. However, uh, if the players that are were not available against Minnesota continue to not be available, and there's no reason to believe that that will change you know, tomorrow, it, it might, but but no reason to believe it. So Athanasiu not available, Anderson not available, Brandon Lemieux not available. At least against Nashville, um, who is not as formidable opponent this season as maybe they have been in years past correct i'd be inclined to leave well enough alone and see what this team as it is presently iced can do it's a wake-up call uh, to this roster you know they didn't play their best game against minnesota they didn't control the puck as much as they wanted to um they 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 lost they know that they didn't do what they were supposed to set out to do and, and they didn't play their best game so I, I agree. I think you leave the roster as is and you see how they come back and how they respond. Um, specifically that third line that you were talking about, Velarde, um, Kachev and um, Kaliev. Uh, Kaliev. Thank you. Um, there, you know, you've got three young guys or inexperienced guys who um, didn't have a great game by any means. So it'll be interesting to see if they respond. And, and that's one of the things where, you know, the good players, the guys that belong in the NHL, the guys that, you know, we consider prospects that hopefully can be on that first line one day. You know, it's a learning experience. And if they can respond and come back from a, a poor game and, and play well, that's something that I think will, will raise a lot of eyebrows in a good way and, and you know, tell the coaching staff and, and management that, you know, they belong where they do. Yeah, it's two games, as we've said a number of times. So way too early to panic or be concerned. But moving forward, uh, the goal scorers so far, in these two games are Andre Kopitar, Drew Doughty, Dustin Brown, Victor Arvidsson, and Philippe Deneau. That is great. Good that those guys are getting goals. We need those guys to get goals. But at some point, someone else has to score one. Are you asking for depth scoring for the fifth consecutive year? It'd be nice. <laughs> I mean, you know, Deneau, Deneau is depth. Deneau's a depth. Yeah, yeah Deneau's depth. But, you know, 
Velarde had a really good first game and a, a not great <laughs> second game. Can he get on the board? Can he put up 10, 15 goals this year? Can already, you know, find his rhythm, find those open areas in the offensive zone that he's been able to do in the in the lower levels and be able to start putting up goals with the, the shot that he has. You know, can I follow, you know, put up 10, 20 goals this year uh, in a slightly lesser role because of not being with Kopitar? You know, those are the guys that you hope to. And then, you know, can the fourth line pitch in not only just an energy and um, you know momentum, but can they put in a goal or two and, and cause turnovers in the offensive zone that they were so successful at doing last year at times. So you're right, depth scoring. And, and, you know, McClellan, like he said, you know, right at the beginning of the season, you know, what's what's on your mind? It's it's going to be, you know, can we continue to, to score? And that's something that they did in game one and didn't do in game two. There's two guys that I'm going to look for specifically um, to at least get on the board. It doesn't have to be a goal, but at least contribute offensively in this four-game road trip. We've got Nashville. Dallas, and then two games against the Blues in St. Louis. I would like to see Trevor Moore begin to contribute some offense, right? Because I all... just want to see more of him on the ice. I, I love when he's on the ice. The puck always seems to be going the right direction. But, but you know, he got himself a new contract, and he earns Raves reviews. And I mean the word earns, right? He earns them. Um, but I would like to see some offense from that line. And then also Blake Lazat, because two years ago, Blake Lazat had whatever, 22 points, I think, as a rookie, um, stormed into the league, took a spot. And then last year was a really rough year for not only for him, but for the whole team. Um, so as a sign that the depth is contributing, as a sign that there's more than just the big guns firing, um, I'm going to look forward to those guys getting on the board at least once in the next four games, hopefully more. Yeah, so, Lazat's, no pun intended. A, Lazat's an intriguing player because – you go back to his rookie year where he played 22 games. The, the Kings were lacking depth in that time. And he at times played with, you know, Jeff Carter on the wing and Carter talked highly about him. You know, so he almost had a second or third line role at times. You know, obviously he's been moved down. He's on the fourth line to start the first two games of the season. You know, we've seen, as you said, in his rookie year, when he was able to put up 20 something points, you know, in a lesser role, but a guy who still has such a motor and and can really impact the game when he's on top of uh, of his his you know speed and the ability to read the plays and and really get in on the forecheck. You know, identical to Trevor Moore. You know, those two guys on the bottom line. It'd be interesting to see how much you know McClellan goes to them for you know energy and and the the opportunity to really help you know the Kings gain momentum, but. You know, like you said, for the first two games, not a whole lot out of them. Something to keep an eye on as we go on the six-game road trip. Yeah, I think that's going to... Four-game uh, road trip. My yeah, ball. exactly. <laughs> no worries. Um, and the Kings are back on the 28th against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, so that's the first chance that we'll get to see them in person. Jack, thanks for joining me. Uh, right now, we're going to go and we're going to bring you a conversation with Luke Robitaille, president of your LA Kings. Joining us now... President and fan favorite of your L.A. Kings, Luke Robitaille. How are you doing today, Luke? I'm doing great. You? I'm doing excellent. And, of course, Zach Dooley is here as well. Zach, how are you? Jesse, I'm okay being the last guy introduced if we've got Luke with us here on the podcast. That's I'm, right. I'm, I should, I'm, I'm I should have said and featuring Zach Dooley. I'm good with that. Apologies. But I'm doing great. I'm doing great. <laughs> All right. What's up, Zach? <laughs> hey, Luke. Uh, so, Luke, we've got to start off with the changes on the ice. Obviously, three free agent uh, signings on free agency day and uh, Vladimir Kachev coming in. We'll start with him first. Um, 
how long were the Kings, as far as you're aware of, uh, looking at Vladimir Kachev to bring him here to LA? I think it's been uh, with Kachev. I, I mean, without us knowing too much, our guys have been on him for a couple of years talking to him. But th- this past year, uh, uh, I, I attended a couple of the meetings when we were talking about him and, uh, and then uh, Blakey started talking to his agent and, uh, you know, with all of our European scout, Christian Rutu and uh, Mr. Kopitar and, and they were, you know, and then we started watching him and so forth. So, but I know our guys have been on him for a couple of years, but we knew like this year was, was the year like, the, you know, because over there, when a guy's in, uh, in Russia, he's got to get out of his contract too. It's never an easy thing. Uh, Dowdy, um, at the end of last season, you know, Drew Dowdy made his comments and I think fans and media probably, you know, made more of it than, than was necessary. And then recently, I think it was on uh, 32 thoughts or he was talking to American Friedman, I think. And they talked about the signings of Edler and the trade for Arvidsson and the signing of Deneau. And they said, you know, do you feel like the Kings were responding to what you said? And he sort of laughed it off. And he said, no, that was always in the Kings plans to make these improvements. He's happy that they did, but certainly it wasn't like, you know, he told you guys to do something and you went out and did it. Um, I mean, it sounds like it was always in the plans, right? To, to slowly improve. Yeah, when we, when, we, when we said a few years ago we had a plan and we had to go, part of it is obviously I, I, as, as things are moving, things evolve. But when we started looking at our roster last year, we, we clearly could tell that we needed uh, a little bit of um, help for the next few years. And... Uh, and we always talked about getting a couple guys that can help us on our top six because to expect guys that are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, even 22 year old to, to come in and, and help you win the cup right away, it's not fair. Now, for them to come in and help you win games and help you go, yes. But they need, you know, to, to become a top player, it takes a few years to establish yourself. I mean, you know, you, you, you could go Connor McDavid came in the league, you know, he, he was really good, but the, the orders weren't, and, you know, and he, he wasn't surrounded well at the beginning. And that's what they've been trying to do ever since. So that, that was the same idea for us. And uh, we were going to do that, but obviously having a, a player like uh, Drew Doughty and knows how to win, he, he's come in with this franchise and what he's done for the past, uh, it's been 12 years, 13 you know, these guys want to see that we're taking it to the next level. We told them, you know, we, we always knew that we were turning the page, that we're going on the, we call it the upswing now. We're going, uh, moving forward. And uh, that, was, that was the goal. The, 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 the three players, the three position that we filled were the three position that we set out to fill uh, actually before the end of the season. Luke, was it at all challenging when you're in the early stages of this process? You know what the vision is long term. You know, you guys aren't thinking, you know, 12 months ahead. You're thinking five years ahead. When you're in that first year, that second year, when it's still the teardown part and not the re, you know, upswing part that you mentioned, was it tough at all to stay patient? Or did you guys just believe so firmly in what you were building that you understood it and you were, you were patient with the process? Well, you always try to win every year. You always want to win and you, you know, you, you never know. You always expect a player to play above, you know, like having a year that they've never had and so forth. But if I go back to 2017, 
when uh, when Rob took over and 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 myself, we knew right then and there that we couldn't trade away any more picks. So if you look since 2017, we haven't the only the only picks we traded was a pick to get Brock Faber to to move up, but that was like three years, four years in the process. And this year is the first year that we moved picks to get exactly what we wanted. But before that, we only acquired picks, as many picks as we could, so then we could acquire as much talent as we could. So for us, we knew what we were doing since 2017. But, but that being said, we believe into the guys that we had. And, we, you know, like if you remember that first year we made the playoffs, we needed some scoring. So we were like, let's try to go to free agency, see if we can have a little bit of a boost for the time being. And uh, we signed Ilya. It didn't work out. It happens, you know, it just didn't work out, but we didn't have to give up any picks or, or anybody for it. And, uh, and Ilya and us, we, we shook hands and he, he walked away and he played another year. And that's, that's the way our game goes, but we've known what we're doing since then. And then we were going to move it slowly, but then unfortunately the next year, the season started sideways right away so we kind of moved everything that we had planned to do about a year up so really if you look at it this way so if you think from 2017 what you guys have in mind we're probably a year ahead of where we thought we would be if our team were to just keep you know uh, making the playoffs and competing and so forth Another player you've added to the organization that didn't require any picks is uh, Philippe Deneau, and he's looked great so far in uh, in limited preseason action, but he's looked like every bit the player that you guys hoped he would. Um, how big a role did you play? I mean, obviously we've heard the, the conversations about you hopping on the call and speaking to him in French and telling him to come here, but uh, but how big a role did you play in bringing him here, and how important was it that uh, that you could speak French to him? Uh, I don't know how important it was to speak French. I think what was more important is that we've always, uh, whenever we've talked to free agency, free agents, sorry, it, whether it's college free agent or signing players, we've always done it as a team uh, with Blakey, Nelson Emerson, and at the time, sometimes uh, Jeff Solomon or Mike Fuda would be in the room and there'd be different people. We've always done it as a team. And uh, this year was really the first year, besides Kovalchuk, that we were we were going after a, a free agent, and so it was the same. Uh, so when it came time for me to speak, I just the guy speaks French, so I spoke to him in French. And but I think what made it more important, because as a player, you want to understand and know your role, and understand where you fit in the team. And that was probably the biggest thing for him is when he saw what we were doing. And he understood where he was going to fit in with our with our team and what it was going to look like in the next few years. I think that's what got him the most excited. Look, I'm going to throw you a scenario here. You guys are in the right. room. You're talking with Phil Deneau. And he says, Luke, I'm in. I'm going to come to L.A. And I'll knock a million dollars off my cap hit, but I want to wear number 20. What do you tell him? Probably could have gotten done. <laughs> Man, if it, that, would, that would have been an easy negotiation. Yeah, to help the franchise, absolutely. We'll take it down Come for on, a few kid. years. <laughs> Maybe you get him to wear number four. We'll, we'll make Blake. Yeah, I know. Hey, 
Uh, so you take two million, I'll give you ninety-nine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one one million for every nine there. A lot of changes on the ice, Luke, but also a lot of changes off the ice. Uh you guys went out and played Frozen Fury in Salt Lake City. I'm curious from your perspective. Um, not the first game in Salt Lake City, but the first Frozen Fury in Salt Lake City. Um, signed up for a few more years. Uh, how did it go? First of all, it was great. I mean, we've had a, a good time going to Salt Lake the last three years now already. I can't believe it's been three years already. Uh, we, when we lost the game in Vegas, because obviously the Golden Knights coming in, into the league, we were looking for another place to get a, a home a preseason game so we don't have to have a Staples Center and charge our fans. That was the most important thing. Um, when we start in Salt Lake, uh, I think we just came up with another name, which I can't even remember what it was. But our our staff, like uh, Mason Donnelly, for some of our season holder that know, obviously Kelly Cheeseman and Darren Abbott, they they decided this year to just say, you know what, let's just call it Frozen Fury and let's just go for it. And the way it works in preseason is you make deals with team. It doesn't have anything to do with the league. So you try to play a game there and a game at your home. So we call the Vegas and say, look, instead of playing in L.A., would you mind coming to Salt Lake City? It's an easier trip for them. And it, it was great. I, I know that there's a lot of uh, Golden Knights fans in, in Salt Lake City. So I knew it would be a really good crowd, too. So it, it was a win-win. It was fun because we had way more L.A. Kings fans that flew in or came and so that made it really fun. I do foresee that this event will get better and better. Park City is a great area. I would like to get to a point where we're able to do an event in Park City, you know, for the for our fans and so forth, and then then go play the game. And and, and there there's other talk about maybe possibly doing like two three day training camp there, and then having the first game there. So there's there's a lot of stuff that's happening. There's a a new rink being built in Park City, so but it's a couple of years away. So I'd love to get every year becomes a, a destination point for all of our fans and our team. As long as Utah doesn't become the thirty third team in the league, and we have to find a new place to uh, to play preseason games, it sounds great to me. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't think it's going to be thirty three or thirty four teams for a long time. It's funny you say that because they asked me, "Do you think we have a chance of being time?" We're like, ah. I think it's not going to be for another 10 to 15 years that more teams come in our league. I don't, you know, that's what I believe. I'll have to, I'll have to get my skis out of storage if we're going to be playing in Park City every year. That's a, that's a fun, fun little trip. Um, preseason crowds are, are fickle, right? You know, when you're playing in your own city, it can be tough to get the building full. So you play a neutral site game. The atmosphere looked incredible. Lower Bowl was full. It was Kings fans. It was Golden Knights fans. Everyone seemed to be having a good time. Is that a big part of why you play these neutral side games to provide that regular season atmosphere in a preseason game? I personally, when I was a player and we used to play in Vegas and it was sold out, it was so much fun to play. It's just different. So playing that game in Vegas where every ticket that we were allowed to sell were sold and it's it's fun. It's loud. It's a, it's a, you know, when, when you're a veteran and you get into the preseason uh, schedule, it's like, once you played two, you just want to get it over with. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after the first week, you're like, God, I, you know, another week. And fortunately for them, training camp is a lot shorter, but it's still, it still does get old if you play a few games. So 
to play a game where it's a different crowd and so forth, it's always a lot of fun. Luke, a lot of changes on the ice. We've alluded to some changes off the ice. Um, when when you're running a franchise and organization, obviously you can you can make strategies, you can make plans for what you're going to do on you know ice personnel, etc. The last whatever 15, 20 months have presented you with a ton of challenges that you have no control over. Yeah, um, you're dealing with you know league rules that are shifting, county rules, state rules, federal. Like, how difficult is it to pivot? And, and sort of try and chart a course through these landscapes when you don't know what's going to happen next week, next month. Yeah, we, I'll tell you what, we will have learned a lot, a, a lot of patience because things, you're right, Jesse, things change literally every week. It's like uh, last week, as an example, we were told uh, our wires weren't going to be allowed at event level. So we were like, oh my God, like, you know, like, in most pro teams, there's a wives' room. <laughs> I know people know that, but there's a wives' room so the wife can go in, in the room and wait for their, their husband post games, their kids can can be there. And it, it's a big commitment to, to be to be part of, a, of an NHL team. So we try to do it well. But suddenly we got an email two weeks ago. It was like, no wives' room this year. You can't you can't be because there's a chance of spreading COVID. We're like, what? Like, what are we gonna do? So Next thing you know, the first team play was Toronto and they got all their wives into an event suite. And, <laughs> and so we're like, OK, maybe we could do that. But for us, you know, we have little kids. So to be on the third level of an event suite, they, like it could be nerve wracking for some of the wives, it's not just a bunch of adults. And so we're going through all that. Then five days later, the league comes back and says, okay, now you can have uh, you can have a wise room, but, but it can't be where the players cross. So we're like, well, wait a minute, what are we going to do? So so then within a few days, we were able to talk to the league and say, how about if we close the door of the wise room so when the players cross them, or we put a plastic partition. So if you see when the players go on the ice now, you see a plastic partition between this little door, and I mean, you really got to know what to look for, but it's kind of funny to me how that little event or that little small thing changed like three times in one week, but it's been like that, like for everything, you know, whether the testing, vaccinated, or the way we had to do the players, uh, the way we do post-game interviews, the way pre-game, who interacts with the players, who can walk around the locker room and not, it just seems to it changes every week. We're we're planners in this industry, right? Like we're trying to plan 82 games, 41 at Staples Center. Like how tough is it when you can make all these plans that sound great on the information you have, but you know that you could get an email an hour later that just makes you tear those plans off to start over again. Like it's got to be pretty tough, right? I think it's hard, but I think it will make us better uh, for the in the future. It will make us, you know, we we've learned a lot through through these, and we've we've had to adjust to many new things. And and I do believe as an organization, it will make us better. A lot of people have had to do different roles. I mean, we we lost some people. I mean, as you know, Zach, there were some people that weren't in the office for a long time. People have had to do two, three different jobs and work way harder. And But I do believe that will make us stronger for the future. I'm going to miss seeing uh, John Avery out on the ice, on the ice group, I think, during the games. That was my favorite part, was seeing his skating improve throughout the course of the year. 
That was funny how we we had all of our ice development uh, group doing the ice crew. That was fun last year. It was. It was. Um, you know, like you say, this is going to make us better. And I, I completely agree with you. And you look at the kind of blank canvas that you have, right? Like we haven't seen a full crowd at Staples in 18 months. And that, that's a long time. And it probably gives the organization an opportunity to make some changes, maybe reestablish an identity. So you come into the, to this season, you'll probably be walking into a new, different, exciting experience, you know, without looking for specific details, you know, is it going to look maybe a little bit different for fans when they come this year? Well, first of all, our team is way different. I mean, just watching our team in these preseason and seeing the speed that we're bringing, you know, it seems like every night on the way we're playing, Todd says we were going to play, more, much more pressure than we have the last couple of years. So that's number one. And obviously there's a lot of new players. Number two, we've done everything we can to change the feel and the look. We understand we have a very young team coming and we need to adjust with time with that. So yeah, there's going to be a much different feel and look at our games. We're still going to bring the, the stuff that we know, we understand what our fans really love, but at the same time, I want to make sure it goes with what the team we've built, which has got that modern feel and that young look and feel that it's going to be. Uh, I think our fans are going to really enjoy uh, the, some of the new stuff that we're bringing to the what's around the game. You know, obviously there's the game. When you're on the ice, you're on the ice. You can never tweak that. But what's around it, it should be entertainment. The people should be coming that have never been to a Kings game and say, wow, this was fun. This was different. Really had a good time tonight. Luke, I recently went down a rabbit hole. Um, there was some Jersey talk on Twitter, and I remembered a conversation that I once had with the late, great David Courtney about designing the uh, the new black, then the new black, white, and silver jerseys yeah. uh, in 1988. And he told us a story about how he was partially responsible for coming up with the with the um, the jersey design. And, and that they were worried because it was only delivered at the last minute for the press conference introducing Wayne Gretzky. And they were sweating bullets because they didn't even know if they were going to have a jersey for him, you know, for them to display. And he said that that was the moment that the NHL introduced the rule that you have to have two years advance warning for when you change a jersey. Now, by the time people are listening to this, they'll have seen the Kings new third jersey. But to Zach's point about planning and, and to your point about making the changes um, around the game, obviously the jersey is sort of in the game, but it's around the game. Um, what's the thought process that goes into that long of a of a change? You know, you, you do have to plan out way in advance. I, I I personally hate the fact that we it takes two years to get a jersey, but it makes sense when you think about it because you want to have the company on board. You want to make sure they have enough orders that you know you can. If people get excited about a jersey, they want to buy it. Like last year when we did that uh, retro jersey, like, I mean, we they only made so many and we sold them out, you know, and there was a demand. But but that was strategic from Adidas to do it that way. But it's a pain in the butt that we have to wait two years sometimes because when you're designing it, you're like, this is going to be awesome. And like, <laughs> wait a minute, it's only in two years from now. But... But that being said, it, it's fun for me. Like when it comes down to jerseys, I always really think of our players and our fans. Like I, that's the way I look at it. I always feel if the player will love wearing them, then I know our core fans will love that too. 
So a lot of times we'll strategically bring one or two players upstairs and say, okay, what do you think of this jersey? Do you like it? And if their reaction is right away, yeah. Or if, but if they go, well, this, this, and that, then you know you're probably not in the right direction. So we, we've done it with most of our jerseys where we brought in, whether it was Drew or brought in Matt Green, a few of the guys, and we'd ask them. Sorry, there was a freeze there for a second. Zach, did you want to follow up on that? No, I... Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I gonna, sorry. I, I was going to close it out here. I was just going to mention that I was, uh, <laughs> I was... I got no transition. I was just going to say I was watching How I Met Your Mother the other day and saw Luke on my screen, so it was nice to chat with him here in person. <laughs> There you go. Totally well, Luke, Luke uh, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it today. All right, guys. Great talking to you. You too. And uh, we'll see you around the office, hopefully. You bet you. <laughs> I'll see you around the office. <laughs>